lights out and away we go and Fettel gets away very well indeed. Lewis Hamilton hot on his tail and Max Verstappen tries to cover him off. Valtteri Bottas has Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen for company. Verstappen breaks the toe and now he's going wheel to wheel with Fettel. Hamilton's coming up on the outside as well. Fettel into turn one. Verstappen round the outside. Hamilton in third place. Verstappen and Fettel touch once again but this time Fettel picks up a little bit of damage as his front wing there touches Verstappen and there's more carbon fibre on the track. Yes, it's an awful start for Vettel. He's got a lot of damage already. Will he have damaged the right rear tyre of Max Verstappen? Valtteri Bottas in a second and Hamilton's got problems. Hamilton's got a puncture on his right rear tyre. Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel coming together. This is an awful start for Lewis Hamilton, who's going to have to now try and limp back to the pit. There's Stoffel van Dorn overtaking him in the McLaren and the Sauber, then in Marcus Ericsson. I've got a flat tyre, guys. Flat tyre. Copy, copy, Lewis. So box, 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 box. You know, I've been trying for years to convince Ted, Gra- Ted Kravitz and Martin Brundle to give us an exciting opening for our show, and they've ignored every one of my emails until now. You think they did that for <laughs> you? <laughs> <laughs> but see, it wasn't the two of them that gave you the exciting opening. It was Verstappen and Vettel and Hamilton. But it was their calling it. Okay. I think they did a bit better than NBC Sports did in calling it. Well, uh, on a whole lot of levels. And now, we, we didn't watch all of the Sky coverage this week. We, wa- we watched NBC's coverage. And um, really, that was one of the more exciting openings to a race we've had in a while. Oh, with the exception of when Verstappen and Vettel took each other out with Kimi Raikkonen? Fair enough. At the beginning of the Singapore Grand Prix? It's been a couple of weeks. I mean, really and truly, is your attention span that short <laughs> that you can't remember this, how Hamilton won the Singapore Grand Prix that nobody thought he was going to win? This is Formula One. Remember, <laughs> we only remember what you did in the last race. The rest of it is gone. It, it, it's, it's, gone. it's ancient history. Yeah, yeah it, Two it happened races ago, ages it's gone. ago. Um, (laughs) but where i'll call out nbc sports is they went through right after this whole thing happened before even lewis made it to the pits they were slamming lewis over him being too aggressive and that he threw away his chances of winning the title this race and we got maybe i don't know a quarter of the lap further down and i'm going and and i looked at you and i said why are they beating up on Lewis right now? The math just changed entirely. Yeah. This is no... Yeah, they're right. He can't, he probably won't finish in fifth, or it's unlikely for him to finish in fifth, but Vettel's damaged too, and that changes all of the maths at this point because all of the maths were Vettel had to win and he had to finish fifth. Now it doesn't look like Vettel could win. Right. And it took him, what, three or four laps before they picked up on that? Well, that was a big complaint I have, and there's a lot of complaints that I have, but I think that this one really put a magnifying glass on one of the things that I call out to all commentators on Formula One as a true limitation to what they do. And I've noticed that it's it's a tendency that every single one of them does. And you did it with your whole, this is the exciting thing. I mean, it's so easy to do it. And what I'm referring to is it's literally the last thing that happened seems to be the only thing they focus in on predicting the future with. It's it's a crash that happens at the beginning of the race, and now Lewis can't win the title. Well, wait a minute. You didn't redo your maths. Because the only two scenarios that meant that Lewis wasn't going to win that title in Mexico were that, Vettel won and Lewis didn't finish fifth or Vettel got second and Lewis didn't finish ninth Mm -hmm. but anything lower than second for Vettel Lewis could just he just had to finish yeah and he probably didn't have to finish he didn't have to finish so because he didn't have to score any points at that point and so those were all I mean when you start to go okay what's the math what's the math but it's that that one little change we went through at the mid-season break, it was anybody's race. Well, it, it was because the maths were that going that direction. But literally, we would go back and forth between Vettel's got the season, Hamilton's got the season, Vettel's got the season, based on who won the last race, without really getting down to the analysis of what are the upcoming races, who's going to be stronger in those races, with the big wild card of what happens if somebody brings a different engine? 
what happens if somebody has a three car crash in Singapore on the first corner and that destroys your maths? I mean, it's so easy to make all your predictions and to say that this person is the, 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 the spotlight person this week because of something that happened recently without kind of taking into measure the whole piece. Well, it was also the, the coming out of Singapore and instantly every and, – and yes, as things progressed, they were proven a bit more right – but instantly coming out of Singapore, the folks who were th- – and a large majority of, of pundits who threw their hands up and said, that's it, championship's over, Lewis won. Vet- Seb just turned around and threw everything away. Um, now, I will give the pundits and, and the media credit in that they were consistent in their criticism of Lewis for pushing as hard as he did to take the lead – as they were a Vettel pushing as hard as he was to, to fight off Max in Singapore. Mm-hmm. They, they all said the, well, you know, he was too aggressive in trying to take the lead. He didn't need to. He just, you know, if he had stayed in second or stayed where he was, things would have been fine. And, and, and I get that. But Lewis also turned around and said, I want to win the championship by winning the races. I don't want to do this, not on the podium. So if the opportunity is there, I'm going to try and take it. And that's what he did. Mm-hmm. And But you saw in a future race, and I forget which one it was, but it was a Verstappen-Hamilton headed into a corner at early in the race, and Lewis backed off, and he took second in that race. I believe that was Malaysia. Was that Malaysia? Yeah. Um, he took second in that race because he said after the race, I have more to lose than he did. Yeah. And so when it came to a head-to-head battle in that corner, Lewis did the maths really quick in his own head and said, Verstappen's not going to back down and I have more to lose. I get knocked out at this corner. It doesn't hurt Verstappen at all. It hurts me. And second isn't so bad. And so I think that that's a protective Lewis and a mature Lewis that we have to start thinking in those terms. Um, but I got to tell you something. I know we'll get there in all of this, but Lewis did win the championship. He won it in ninth. And he's been a different driver this year. Yeah. Um, he's been a different driver this, after the summer break, particularly. But just in general, a different driver. We're seeing a maturity on him that I've been talking about for a couple of years, but it's really culminating. Well, the the one thing I haven't heard, and, and again, I'm, I haven't been following, I don't follow Lewis's Instagram account because I guess that's where he posts most of what he does. But I haven't seen as much on the social media side, on the channels that I do follow, this year as I have in previous years. Didn't see the pics, the, the pictures that said he went to the uh, the Met Gala and, and some of these other things that, that we know he likes to do. Mm-hmm. And we know he's done some traveling. But in terms of what we saw last year with the partying and the celebrating, it hasn't been as publicized. I'm assuming that Lewis is still Lewis and he's doing the thing. And, and, and I don't mention it to criticize him. Yeah. Um, but what I have not heard as much of this year as we heard last year was the criticism of his lifestyle. And I don't know whether that's because he hasn't been as public with it this year or just folks have finally started to realize that it works for him. It works Let for it him. go. Well, I don't know if you saw this, um, but one of the, the uh, papers, and I forget which one it was, interviewed Valtteri Botas. This year. Autosport had the article, too. Autosport had um, Recently, towards the end of the season. And, you know, what did Botas feel about the season? And what, what are these things? And mm-hmm. it was a really a, gr- a good thing about Botas and his thought process. But he had a statement in there that I thought was very interesting. He apparently wasn't that close to Lewis. And you got to think about how small that group is. Yeah. They weren't close. They weren't friends before they joined the team together. So he didn't have a real privy into all of Lewis. So what even Valtteri, who is in the inner circle, Mm -hmm. knew of what Lewis did, he didn't think Lewis worked very hard. He knew he was an amazing driver, but 
he thought it was all natural talent. Yeah. He said the thing that has amazed him since joining Mercedes is truly how hard Lewis works. And it, he spends a lot of time at the factory and working with the engineers and working with the team to to learn and to push and to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, he, he was amazed at that. And, and what I don't know and what we don't know is, is that something that was this year or is that how Lewis has always been? That's a very interesting question. Um, I don't know if he kind of got his little comeuppance because maybe he got a little overconfident that he'd always beat Rosberg. And so he took a step back last year and didn't invest what he normally had invested in. Um, But you definitely saw less of the public kind of Lewis having fun stuff, but you don't ever see how much, how hard he works during the season and I think even Valtteri was just blown away by you get this impression of him as he's a that he's he's like Kimmy he's a part hard partying Mm -hmm. lifestyle loving guy and the truth is he works really hard and you know I kind of think that that's sort of an essay on life um Outside of the Formula One world, if you just take a step back, there are often times that we, when you're an outsider, you don't always see how hard somebody is working when you're distracted by sort of the the lushness of their lifestyle. Yeah. And sometimes we take a lot of, we take a very negative view of somebody who might be in those inner circles and in the rich and the famous world and not realize that they actually do have a day job and they really are working very hard with it. And they're still balancing it with the Met Galas and the other things. But, and that's even hard work. But Lewis, because of his social media profile, especially last year, and, and oh. again, we don't know what it was like this year, but last year, it I mean – it was very public that he was living that kind of a lifestyle. And, you know, even if, if you look at uh, some of the documentaries and, 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 and some of the things about previous drivers, whether it's Jackie Stewart or um, James Hunt or anybody like that, you know that they lived pretty wild lives. Mm-hmm. Even Sterling Moss. I mean, he was known as being a huge playboy during his his I think he's still known as being a huge playboy which kind of grosses me out dirty old man anyway um (laughs) but they were known for living these lifestyles but because we didn't have social media you didn't see the full extent of what that was like so and 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 that's where I kind of get bothered by when when especially somebody like Jackie Stewart stands up and 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 criticizes Lewis Hamilton over the lifestyle that he lives because he was the same way. Yeah, instead of maybe going out to the nightclubs until 2 a.m., he was going off with whoever in the private plane to go party at the beach somewhere or something, and he freely admits he did. Well, yes. Now, I will say this. By the time Jackie was Lewis's age, he was also married and more settled, I think Jackie's wife settled him down quite a bit. But I think also by the time he was about Lewis's age, he was he was Retired. pretty close to retiring. Yeah, there, there's that too. Um, but you know, Jackie only has three world championship titles. Lewis has four. And and that's the, you know the the next thing I'll mention is a lot of the chatter. And and again, this is where I also have to congratulate the press for being consistent because they did the same thing when Sebastian Vettel won his fourth. There has been a lot of chatter this week of now that Lewis has won four, does that make him the greatest driver of all time? And they did the same thing with Vettel. And and that's where I think it's, it, it's fair to ask the question. I don't think he is. I think he is certainly on the list. He deserves a place there. But again, you've got Vettel, who's also won four. Mm-hmm. You've got Michael Schumacher, who won seven. And we'll never know how many Ayrton Senna would have won. Right. I think he belongs on the list, just like Vettel does. We'll see what happens from there. Well, 
Yes. I mean, that's that's the truth. We have to see what the totality of his career looks like. His career is not over. And that, I think, is a very important well, some thing to, of it. Re- to, to remember. Yes, he is starting to become an elder statesman in his age. I mean, he's in his early 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that the oldest person on the grid is 38. So he's he's getting closer to that than he is to the Verstappen age. And he admits that. Yeah. But by the same token, he's still really good. Um, is he the greatest? I hesitate to say that we're ever going to answer the question of who is the greatest. But but the question will always be asked. It, it, it's a popular drinking game, if nothing else. And well, it's, yes, but it's, it's the worth same discussion. thing as to who would win, Batman or Superman. Well, you know, it, it, it's worth discussion among fans no different than, you know, is Wayne Gretzky the greatest hockey player or, you know, Babe Ruth or Reggie Jackson a better baseball player. It, 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 it's worth the debate. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to talk about around the pub? Fair enough. So, moving on from how great Lewis is, because that's apparently what we talk about. Well, we, we have some other reaction, too. We have Fernando, Fernando Alonso's reaction to Lewis's win of his fourth title. Fernando looked at this year and said that Lewis had it too easy. Yeah, figure that one out. We, you know... We had a back and forth for most of the season between Seb and Lewis. Seb led the title for the first half of the season. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until Ferrari did their customary late season implosion. And, yeah, we may see them win another race or two before, before the season is up. But th- this was their, their late season implosion. Um, Fernando says that it was very this easy. It, it was very easy this year. No opponents. Last year, he had Nico until the last race, fighting every single race. This year was too easy. Mercedes, four races to the end, Constructors' Champion. Hamilton, three races before the end, Drivers' Champion. Hopefully, McLaren Renault will change this this easy time for them. Fernando. Can I remind everyone? Fernando, two world titles. And Lewis. a lot of bad career choices. Lewis, four. Yeah. Vettel, four. Fernando, two. Speaking of uh, Vettel, Vettel's own reaction. And I I didn't grab the audio for it because, admittedly, Vettel was a bit down post-race. It was Mopey Vettel? Yeah, it was very Mopey Vettel. Um, He he was down this race. And he was holding out hope going into this weekend. He really was. He refused to say it was over in Austin. He refused to call it. He was still hopeful that something could happen. Well, we've got his post-reaction, post-race reaction to this. He says, I'm down, obviously. It's tough to cross the line and realize that you're not in the fight anymore. That sums it up. The rest isn't that important. Whatever happened today, the most important thing is it's Lewis's day. He was crowned world champion, and he deserves that. I would have loved to go up on him, but it's his day. It's his year. For us, obviously, we're left with whatever is left. Right now, it's disappointing. Next year will be a different story as we all start again. But right now, in these moments, you need to give credit to the best man, and that is him this year. Overall, he was the better man and did the better job. Simple as that. And yeah, he may have been disappointed. He may have been upset. But I got to give him credit. That was... I mean, it it was exactly what you'd expect, or what it should be. Not the, it was too easy. <laughs> then again, we also know that Fernando Alonso is not exactly a Sebastian Vettel fan. No. So. <laughs> I think Fernando, quite frankly, lives in his own world. <laughs> you know, he does to some extent. He really does. Fernando has said that he is now starting to look beyond the small world of Formula One. Oh, is he now? Yes. Um, he has, ba- basically, he's made it clear that 
Um, as long as there is something for him to race somewhere, he's going to try and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, you know, he's, he's really excited that he gets to, to do the Daytona 24, or 24 hours uh, early next year. Um, he fully intends on going back to Indianapolis at some point. Um, he's planning on doing Le Mans, but basically it sounds like when he decides to leave Formula One, because he says Formula, and this is why he says he, he wants to leave the small world of Formula One, is that is a very small piece of motorsport. Mm-hmm. And he wants to race wherever he can. So in a way, if you want to <clears throat> consider it this way, Fernando is very much like the old school racers. The, the Jim yeah. Clark era where just give me four give me wheels and an engine and I want to go out and race it. So 10 years from now are we going to see him in the NASCAR truck series? You never know. <laughs> you never know. Speaking of future, Lewis Hamilton uh, says that you know now that the, the race the championship is settled and, and he's won the title, um, he is now open to sitting down with the folks at Mercedes to discuss extending his contract. Well, naturally, now he can sit down as a four-time world champion and not a three-time world champion with the hopes of the fourth. Yeah, but I w- would it really surprise you that that's what he was going to do? No. I mean, in- unless... As soon as it became mathematically probable, you knew talks were going to shut down until he was done. Yeah. And it was... You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say that Lewis's people just went to Mercedes and go, he is so close to tying this thing up, he wants to focus on that and not no. on negotiations. Well, well, that's one of the other questions. Oh, that's right. He doesn't have people. Well, he his most recent contract with Mercedes, he did himself. And he did it in large part because Seb negotiates his own contracts. He has had people before. So that's the question of... Is he going to have some, you know, will he have a representative do those negotiations? Or is he going to take that on himself this time? I don't know. That's a, that's a big question. I don't know if we'll find out either. Mm-mm. So the other stories, big stories. Um, yes, Max Verstappen had a hell of a race and won. And it was probably one of the most under-recognized wins that Max has had so far in his career. Poor guy, but he'll get over it. Max also turned around and said in in post-race comments that this is the kind of race that he likes. What happened with Max, and this is one of the reasons why his his, uh, race was so under-recognized, is he took the lead and ran away. Mm -hmm. And there was never a serious challenge beyond that. Well, there are some pundits and and even some drivers who say that the races that they like are the ones where they spend the time fighting for the lead and in the thick of it and you know that it it is a challenge to win the race not max not max i like to win it know i'm gonna win it and just relax yep i just want to run off with it i don't want any challenges just leave me at the front and, and away i'll go um christian horner even said that at one point that they thought max had gotten bored (laughs) but max said this is the kind of race that he likes and this is what he wants interesting now everybody with the exception of maybe max listening to the radio messages was really kind of concerned about the state of the renault power supplies i think everybody was now i think we figured it out only of all of the renault engines only two finished the race yeah and it's clear to point that out because nbc missed that on more than one occasion and possibly other broadcasters did too we don't know but at one point from about the you know well after carlos Sainz dropped out Mm -hmm. uh there was a lot of comments from the NBC guys of Max is the only Renault left Renault powered car left in the race, and they said it over and over and over again. Poor Pierre Gasly. Yeah, as he's going, what am I, chop liver? Well, fortunately, there he is no chance it. in this world that Pierre Gasly was listening to the NBC coverage. Yeah, um, nor that he would ever see the NBC coverage because well, he is yeah. too good for that. Well, that and he was probably provided better coverage by the team post-race. Yes. But, uh, yeah, all but two Renault-powered cars 
suffered some form of engine failure along the way. You know, after we were told that they were making great strides with their reliability, that, uh, yeah, it got that bad. To the point that the team was telling um, Max that he needed to slow down, put less load on the car, all of these various things that Max then completely ignored. I was going to say, I don't think Max knows how to do that. Yeah. Well... Cyril a bit bull said that uh, they were a bit too aggressive in Mexico, and they made an error in judgment. He said, we made an error in judgment in our preparation in the way we've been trying to balance performance versus reliability. It's clear when you look at the pace of the car around the weekend, lots of teams have come here taking the right approach when it comes to dealing with engine parameters and chassis parameters. We're extremely competitive. The flip side is that we weren't capable of being at the right level of reliability for that time level for that level of performance. In other words, things kept blowing up. He goes, at the same time, it's a judgment that has allowed a car powered by Renault to be on the top step of the podium. It's the climatic conditions, but we knew that. We've been racing for two years here. We know what to expect. There is no excuse. We maybe need to take a bit more of a humble stance and accept the fact that the engine needs to be managed. We have to understand what went wrong in the preparation for this weekend. Oh, my. Yeah. So it, it sounds like some of the other teams might have detuned a little bit, knowing that uh, engine cooling and other issues are a challenge in the lower air, but Renault said, ah, we're going anyway. <laughs> the hell with this. Haas is upset again. Okay. Um, Roman Grosjean got a penalty for cutting a corner um, after while he was fighting with Fernando Alonso. Fernando also cut a corner during that fight. Roman got a penalty. Fernando did. Ooh. Haas is really upset about that. Uh, Gunther Steiner went to Charlie Whiting. He says they've had some constructive discussions, which basically says to me that he yelled a lot and Charlie sat there and went, uh-huh. 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 Um, I'll take your concerns under advisement. Yeah. Gunther said that uh, his biggest thing is the technicalities of what is wrong and what is right. That isn't easy to find out, and it's the consistency. You need to know what is happening and what is not happening with penalties, and that's my biggest thing. Every time it's different. Roman gets five seconds for cutting the corner, and then Fernando runs into him, hits his car, and destroys his, his race anyway, and gets nothing. He says, it's like, explain it. So they're calling for, and, and they're joining some of the voices that have made this call already, of instead of rotating out the stewards, and Formula One has tried many different things. The original way it used to work was the race stewards um, were whoever Bernie wanted to go and acknowledge from the local uh, auto sport club in that mm -hmm. country. Not necessarily somebody who had any motorsports background other than the fact that they ran the auto club. Correct. Um, recognizing a few years ago that that really was not a great thing, uh, they started bringing in the guest driver stewards. Mm -hmm. who came from many different disciplines, um, sometimes MotoGP, sometimes Formula One, sometimes WEC and WRC. But they brought them in to, to be a steward for the race. Right. That's what we've got now, but it's not the same steward every race. Right. What they need is some consistency that can apply yeah. the rules consistently now i understand on one hand it, it's kind of nice if you can have somebody that is very familiar with the track to understand um you know some corners if you cut them there's no advantage to it yeah and there's some level of gray area that you have to really understand the track you're driving and i could get that in the stewarding but at the you know i go back to palmer's tracks have the the loop around the track that says this is the line you cross it it's automatic but that's not a gray area even when you look at some of the other things that penalties get called for like causing a collision or something like that at the end of the day that determination is human judgment right. and it's always human judgment and it's always based, subject to interpretation by the marshal 
and their own cognitive biases towards both driver, drivers, team, and even just the activity that they saw. And all of that comes into play, and you're never going to completely eliminate that. You know, if, say, they, they name a dedicated steward, and I'm not going to throw a name out there just because I don't want to get nasty emails from somebody, but they name a dedicated steward, and that steward at one race makes a call or even makes a couple of calls against a driver for rightly or wrongly. And then as a result, the driver or the team turns around and lashes out against the steward. You tell me that's not going to affect their judgment in future, future yeah. especially since you're still relying on really one person to make that call. Even if you've got still the guest stewards, at the end of the day, you've got the one guy who's going, I'm the guy from the FIA who's here. You guys are just visitors. Mm. You know, how does that color the judgment of what happens? So I don't think that there's ever going to be, even if you follow putting the loop detector in for, for running over on curves, or on corners rather, there's still other incidents that the marshals have to weigh in on that judgment comes into play. Well, yes, and I agree with that. I still think that we need to talk in terms of, you know, the team of stewards and they bring multi points of view, but somebody that's you know a consistent voice or even somebody that may not be making the decision but somebody that's monitoring the consistency now this could be an interesting thing i'm just coming well, up with this on the fly if you had somebody that said hey the last time this type of thing happened this was the penalty imposed to the stewards and then let the stewards decide from there so that there's consistency I would think that's Charlie Whiting's job. That would be Charlie Whiting's job, to my thought. But I, I would think that that would fall firmly within his purview. I don't know. So we've talked quite a bit in the past about how, and, and we're not the only ones, about how odd it is to stick Mexico and Austin back to back. You know, on, on one hand, yeah, it makes sense because travel is a whole lot cheaper and, and they're closer and, and keep them together. On the other, Formula One's freaking expensive to go to. Mm -hmm. And it forces folks to make a choice of do you do one or the other? And especially in the case of if you're an American or a Mexican fan, do you want to go through the hassle of crossing the border between either of those countries? Because let's face it. U.S. Customs and Border Protection aren't fun people. Shh. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> Send your letters of complaint. <laughs> um, that was not me. Don't stop me in customs, please, um, for things that he has said. Now, we, we know what happens when you put races that are close to each other um, – near each other in the calendar we have watched it happen in singapore and malaysia mm -hmm. we've watched a race leave the calendar because of that now we also by sharp contrast we know that that is less of a problem where there is a larger pool of fans like the european races i mean there well, is no distance between i i think the other thing that at least Mexico is enjoying. I don't know if Texas is enjoying it, but I think the thing that Mexico is enjoying is by going and draw. And, and it's clear from watching the races that there is a pretty good Formula One fan base in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Dropping that race in, especially in downtown Mexico, is you have a very large catchment area of fans who don't have to go and spend a couple of hundred bucks for to fly anywhere, right. let alone international, because it is right smack dab in one of the larger metropolitan areas in the world. Right. And that, I think, helps the Mexico race a lot. Yeah, the the Austin race used to catch a lot of Mexican fans prior to Mexico City happening. But I think having the race in Mexico City is a bigger draw for the Mexican fans. I I think you're right. I think that that's what 
um, and you're going to get to it. I think that that's what's been part of the drop in attendance in the U.S. Grand Prix is that when there was not an option in their backyard, of course you would come to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that there's one in my backyard, why would I come across the border to go deal with that? Um, that said, I'm not sure how easy or what a good plan would be to try to separate them. Well, Bobby Epstein, who's the promoter for uh, the race in Austin, the U.S. Grand Prix, what he has proposed and what he wants to happen is for Mexico to be shifted to June and paired with Canada. Um, now, Alejandro Soberon, who is the organizer for the Mexican Grand Prix, says, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> uh-uh. Um, he says, uh, Bobby's a fantastic guy, and I love him. I think he has a great idea to separate the races, but I think Bobby should move back to June, which would be great for him. It would make more sense to have Canada and the United States together because they are closer. They can do it in June, and they can even make a package together to sell tickets for both races. I have a lot of respect for Bobby and what he is doing for Austin, but for us, it is impossible to move to June because it, because it is rainy season. We are happy with the date that we have. I have a lot of sympathy for him, but we cannot move to June. The October date has become a big festival in the city, and overall, you cannot have a good experience if the weekend is so rainy. And what's Bobby's objection to moving to June? Because that would also get it off the UT uh, Texas A&M game. My guess would be the fact that um, while it's not the hottest of the hot time in Texas, it's hotter in Texas in June than it is in the end of October. Mm. That would be my guess. Um, the I think it was yeah it was the WEC race ran in they run in Austin in the summer. Um, or at least the end of September. And my understanding is that temperatures were brutal, that it was in the 90s plus um, with drivers basically getting out of the cars after after this because it was a a 12-hour race, I believe, but there were rotations of drivers. Drivers getting out of the cars and getting into tubs of ice Mm. to cool down. No, yeah, Formula One does the same in Malaysia and Singapore, but, yeah, it was pretty bad, just my understanding. Wow. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I don't we, – we haven't heard a serious proposal other than just Bobby Epstein saying, hey, something should happen. Um, yeah, you got to wonder with what Liberty wants to do, whether or not they'll make a move somehow. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. So now Max has a contract. Max has a contract. But Daniel does not. I thought he had one more year in his contract. He does have another year. Um, But so did Max. And they signed him to the extension anyway. They gave him a three-year extension that started in 2019. So he was kept until 2021. Daniel doesn't. So the Red Bull has been asked about that as to what the deal is. You know, you rush to sign Max, but nothing's happened with Red Bull. Well, Christian Horner says that um, while the, they want him to stay, they haven't they're, – they're not in a rush for Daniel to finalize his plans. Uh, Christian said the next move that he makes at 28 years of age is a very important one for him. So I'm sure he's going to take the time to make sure that the decision is right for him. But he knows the intention very clearly. I've discussed it with him. We want him in a team, and if that takes another six months, then so be it. He enjoys being within the team, and he sees the quality and capability in a team. He knows how we go about our racing and how we treat the two drivers, which he is extremely comfortable and happy with. I think he is keen to see what engine performance looks like next year, which is understandable. Obviously, I would like to have it done sooner, but if it takes six months for the same result, then so be it. And I think that's the key thing there is not the six months, but the engine performance. I think he is waiting to see what happens with and, and what the plans are with Red Bull and engines. Right. With the idea that if the Honda engine still is a turd next year and it looks like Red Bull is going to get Honda engines for 2019, 
he may walk. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. I have no commentary on that one because I think it's a wait and see. And I think Daniel might be a little smart to do, to push back on that a little bit. There's a couple of draws. You know, between Daniel Ricardo and Valtteri Bottas, I think next year is going to be very interesting. I don't agree with the BBC that was trying to write him off going into Mexico this year. Um, Valtteri. Valtteri, yeah. That well, you know, he hasn't been performing well after signing his contract, so maybe they should let him go. I don't agree with that. I, I think Mercedes will gladly keep Valtteri around th- through next year, but he's only also now on a one-year extension along with Daniel Ricciardo and Kimi Raikkonen and so many others. Mm-hmm. So. I think what Ferrari does with that seat, with Kimmy's seat, knowing who is going to be available is going to be interesting. And that's why, you know, I don't think that we Daniel's going to announce any kind of a decision until some discussions are held with Ferrari. I don't think Valtteri is going to announce any kind of discussions until – or decision until those discussions are had with Ferrari. Yeah. That's my theory. It makes sense to me. But as for this year, one question has been answered, and that was Felipe Massa's future. Yes. Felipe uh, announced uh, on Saturday, the day before we recorded, um, and he made the announcement, not Williams, that he is retiring from Formula One at the end of the season again. Right. Now Williams has come out and said that— He's not getting another car? He's not getting another car. (laughs) No, they really appreciate him being willing to come out of retirement last year at the last minute that it was, you know, it was very much a a spur-of-the-moment decision, and they appreciated that, but it was time, and we thank him for his service. He's a very nice guy. Now what I didn't realize, and I had to go double-check the stats, is that— of all people, Lance Stroll has scored more points than Felipe. Mm-hmm. He's gotten four points on Felipe this season. Told you he wasn't that bad. He's still that bad. <laughs> He's still that bad. Sorry. So part of what may have played into Massa's decision this year has been the ongoing tests with um, Robert Kubica and Paul DeResta. And DeResta. Mm-hmm. They seem to be... A, Williams seems to be leaning to either one of them as being front runners Mm -hmm. compared to um, Massa. And so I think that Massa probably just took the high road and said, okay, I'm done. Well, Massa did put out a statement a couple of weeks ago um, saying that he didn't see the point in bringing in Kubica or DeResta because neither one of them has any kind of current experience. Kubica can't fully turn one arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there are some mobility issues that, that Kubica has as well as he's driving or appears to be driving and testing, and he didn't think particularly highly of that. So the expectation at this point, although there's no announcement yet, is that we will next see Felipe in Formula E. I think that's a good place for him. It's Potentially. Um, I don't know who he's going to be driving for. Um, maybe Alan McNish will consider hiring him for the— Oh, no, actually, he, Alan's got two drivers already, doesn't he? I don't know who Alan's got right now. Daniel Abt and somebody else. I remember when they announced the team, there were two drivers already. So, so much for that idea. We'll see who he's driving for. Now, what we didn't realize— is that we almost saw Brendan Hartley in IndyCar. Really? Yeah, he had to be released from a contract uh, with, of all people, Chip Ganassi's team. Oh, wow, to race with Max. Yeah, apparently Ganassi had extended a contract to him um, to, to join up with the team for next year. He's since been released from that contract to run with Toro Rosso. Very cool. I don't know. I'm not sure that this is a bet. I mean, yes, it's Formula One. It's Formula One. But in terms of the possibility to win a championship. Well, yes, he'd have a better I think he's probably better off with Ganassi. With Ganassi. But it's still, it's Formula One. And I get that. So if he didn't burn bridges, 
He can always go back to IndyCar. Yeah. But it does mean that there's a seat open in IndyCar. It does. And we don't know who they're going to... We heard that the contract was... We didn't even hear who he was going to be replacing. Right. So, yeah, I don't know what's happening with that just yet. Now, you mentioned last week um, comments from Bernie Eccleston. Yes, He came out of his hole. Um, There were more comments that were made. You had mentioned that um, Bernie had said that he had worked with Jean Todd to— Max Mosley. Max Mosley, you're right. He had worked with Max Mosley to influence— Stewards de- stewarding decisions in to, favor of Ferrari to benefit Ferrari. Brody said a little more this week. He elaborated on his cheating. Um, no, slightly different area that he said Ferrari got help. He was talking to La Repubblica, which is an Italian newspaper. He said he, he says that Ferrari got some help with the engines. He says, in this case, no one can know except the one who did. Certainly at one point, a hand with the engine was there. So a Republican pushed him and said, well, who are you talking about? Who helped here? And Bernie said, Mercedes, for one good reason. A world championship win against Sauber is one thing. One win against Ferrari is another. I do not know for definite. I say maybe. In the past, it has already happened with Honda. And if Mercedes had tried decided to translate technology to Marinello, I say it was a good move. It is also certain that with the friendly situation between the two teams, the best thing for Stuttgart in 2017 was to make sure that A, Red Bull did not have the most powerful engines, and B, Ferrari was competitive enough to be a credible rival to beat. So Christian Horner was asked by um, one of the media outlets about this, about Bernie's latest comments. And Christian said, well, it's usual Bernie thinking. I would say in the way that he's pieced that together. It's very clear that there's a very tight relationship between Ferrari and Mercedes. The, the way they operate in meetings, one won't lift the hand up without the other one being in agreement these days. So there is that dynamic. It's not the first time that that's happened in Formula One. It won't be the last time. As for whether or not one has helped the other, that's not our business. I've got no idea. So Ferrari's comments, um, this was, I want to say it was uh, Sergio Marchionne, but I'm not positive. Um, Ferrari's comments was that I think it, it is what they call unadulterated hogwash. I think Bernie should be very thankful that Ferrari was at the table and helped him turn the sport into as financially lucrative a position as it ultimately materialized for his personal use. God bless him. I like Bernie a lot, but I th- think Ferrari has done much for Formula One. And then there's Toto Wolf. And Toto. I don't need to, to add an opinion because we have Toto's. Toto's what Toto had to say. He is the only one who is able to sit on the other side of the world and throw a hand grenade, and it actually lands in the paddock. And I like it. These stories are fantastic. I've missed them a little in the past. I've missed the hand grenades and the pop-up meetings and the crisis situation and the divide and conquer. It's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> I've missed that like I've missed a rash. Um, yeah. Yeah. My now, life was so calm and boring until you threw this again at yeah. us. So, yeah, thank you. Um, as for Cyril Abitbull, he said, I think there's been a lot of speculation about that, but I think it is not a new story. It is an old story, and I don't think there is any leg to it. When you look at every single thing that Mercedes is doing, I don't see Mercedes doing that. In the world in which we are living, it is very difficult to keep a secret. We've seen when there was a possible collaboration between Mercedes and Honda. It took a couple of days for everyone in the paddock to become aware of that. I would be surprised, and if it happened, then they would have been super good at keeping a secret. (laughs) It didn't happen because everybody would have known about it, because every other time they've tried to keep a secret, they failed at it. Yeah. Yeah, there's great logic there. And then finally, Eric Boulier's comments. He said, I can't comment on a translated interview from Bernie in Italian. Um, I think what he's referring to, it's the same as for the teams. When you sometimes poach somebody from another team, we all have heard of a few engineers leaving Mercedes to go to Ferrari a couple years ago. That's what I think he was referring to. (laughs) Yeah. 
I, I got no more there, but I, to, I think Total Wolf really said it all. You know, throwing hand grenades from halfway around the world to land in the paddock and explode. Yep. I, th- there is no better description of Bernieisms. Um, the first meetings this week regarding future of the engines for 2021 came out. So we're getting back the V10s that everybody really wants, right? No. Oh. And it's the V8s that they keep asking for, not the 10s. Oh. It's the 8s. Uh, what they have announced, and, and I'm not going to get too deep into the nitty-gritty, just the, the highlights. Uh, it includes, like I said, keeping the current 1.6-liter V6 turbo hybrid engine, but they're going to run it at 3,000 RPMs higher. The reason for that is to improve the sound because everyone's complaining about the sound. So now they're going to let them rev higher. Did you hear Jensen Button's interview that he called it a hairdryer? Yeah. I thought that was amusing. <laughs> now, in order to try to simplify the internals of the power unit, the MGUH will be removed and several design parameters will be introduced to restrict development co- costs and discourage external designs and, ru- or excuse me, discourage extreme designs and running conditions. These will include internal and external parameters, with the latter allowing for what the FIA described as plug-and-play engines, chassis, and transmission swap capability. A single turbo with dimensional constraints and weight limits will be mandated, while a standard energy store will be introduced alongside control electronics, which have long been standard in F1. The MGUK will be more powerful with a focus on manual driver deployment of additional power, similar to the way KERS was used when it was first introduced back in 2009. This feature will also allow drivers the option to save up energy over several laps to increase the tactical elements involved in racing. And that's kind of big because KERS, the way it used to work, is it was only good for a lap. Right. And once you you filled it up over the course of your, your lap, you either used it or... Nothing else happened. Ferrari doesn't like this. And, 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 and to, to, to further analyze what this is, is it means a lot closer to a spec power unit. Uh, There's a lot of sim. I mean, they mentioned they want plug-and-play costs, plug-and-play engine, chassis, and transmission swap capability. So that situation where you run into that four months before the season starts and Lotus walks away and Renault walks in and that means it's a whole new engine, you don't run into a situation of you have a chassis that wasn't designed for this new engine. Right. That's one of the things there. But that limits the flexibility that the teams have. Right. That is piss Ferrari off. Ooh. Yeah. And and that was and when when I first saw the story and I first saw all the headlines flying my, my initial thought was, yeah, okay, what's new? Ferrari, and, and specifically with Sergio Marchionne, came out and issued a fresh warning in response to this that it could quit Formula One. And my first thought was, okay, it's Ferrari. It's what Ferrari does. But then I read the comments from Sergio Marchionne, and I'm like, well, okay, this isn't just the I'm going to take my toys and go away. They've got a valid point here. Right. Because so- Formula One is not a spec series. Right, and what Sergio Marchionne had to say. He says, Liberty has got a couple of good intentions in all of this, one of which is to reduce the cost of execution for the team, which I think is good. But there are a couple of things we don't necessarily agree with. One is that the fact that somehow powertrain uniqueness is not going to be one of the drivers of distinctiveness of the participants' lineup. I would not countenance this going forward. His big words, not mine. Mm. The fact that we now appear to be at odds in terms of the strategic development of this thing and we see the sport in 2021 taking on a different air is going to force some decisions on the part of Ferrari. I understand that Liberty may have taken these into account in coming up with their views, but I think it needs to be absolutely clear that unless we find a set of circumstances, the results of which are beneficial to the maintenance of the brand and the marketplace and to the strengthening of the unique position for Ferrari, Ferrari will not play. What I do know is that F1 has been a part of our DNA since the day we were born. It is not as though we can define ourselves differently. But if we change the sandbox to the point where it becomes an unrecognizable sandbox, I don't want to play anymore. And Sergio went on to say that he would feel like a million bucks about being the person who took Ferrari out of Formula One. 
He says, I'd be working on an alternative strategy to try and replace it, a more rational one too. But his big point is that Ferrari sees F1 and the engineering that they put into Formula One as a differentiator, not just as a car manufacturer, but as a racing team. And moving to a, more of a spec series takes away that differentiator. And that's the problem that they have. And to that extent, yeah, I kind of understand it. I, I, I think that's one of the things that, that makes Formula One interesting in its own special way is the fact that teams, yeah, there are limitations. They've got constraints within the rules. But teams can go off and try something different. Right. And you don't – yes, the racing is tighter in IndyCar, but you don't see that kind of a thing in IndyCar because the specs are so close. I think that that's, that's a key differentiator. I think it also makes people say, oh, well, what's different between Formula One and IndyCar? It's an easy answer to say one's a spec series and one is completely about constructors being able to, to do their own thing within the limitations. Um, I mean, I miss the days where they could do truly radical design. Yeah. And I think that that's part of, what we're missing in some ways. I mean, we're not getting a six-wheeled car again. We're just not. No. Um, and I think that just radical design is something that has to be a part of Formula One going forward. It's where we get big thinking and big ideas. Well, you know, the, the other area where you used to get it is also kind of drying up. And that was over in WEC. The LMP1 prototype series, I mean, you had Nissan for two years who was running a three-wheeled car. Yep. And that was recent. That wasn't like 20 years ago. You know, Volkswagen and Audi, yeah, okay, admittedly it was lying cheater diesel, <laughs> but they won races with diesel-powered cars, and they won races with turboelectric hybrid cars. And... Yeah, as much as they're complaining and moaning about bringing the the turboelectric hybrids into Formula One, it's something different, and it's pushing the boundaries. And this is my concern, is that there, there won't be enough differentiation there. I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. I think that there's got to be the ability for a team to roll the dice and get it right and roll the dice and get it wrong. And that's what that's what has made this particular era, if, if people are really honest, and forget <clears throat> this love affair with the V8s and the V10s and this like maniacal desire to go back to the past. But think about what made this particular era that we're living in in Formula One truly special. And you can complain and that it meant that a, a particular constructor ran off with the series for two years, but they rolled the dice, they got it right. Then you look at Honda, they mm -hmm. rolled the dice, they got it wrong. And that's what Formula One should be about, is you roll the dice. Well, that, that should be some of it. The other is also the design you want to push the teams to do something different and the 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 concern that happened and, and one of the things that pushed the change from besides the fact that they wanted the turbos was the v8s had gotten to a point where there wasn't a whole lot more that they could milk out of it mm -hmm. so instead you had red bull figuring out the aerodynamic piece and that's why they were doing as well as they were is they had the genius of adrian newey designing incredibly aerodynamic cars but then people complain of well you know we don't like the aerodynamics for winning the race because they're not exciting well design a car that looks exciting and that can win a race yeah and you don't run into that issue you know come up with other ways to generate the downforce that they need use mechanical ways to download that that way the aerodynamics aren't quite as important and you can improve the races and do all the other stuff that you're you are begging formula one to do see and here's the thing i think that you know and i've said this i think i'm getting to the point where i'm tired of myself saying this the fans say improve the racing mm -hmm. what they claim they want to see 
when they say improve the racing isn't accomplished with some of the the rule changes that they keep trying to make they want to see great passing well we can't pass right now because we have such aero dependent cars yeah. that they need the clean air to get the straight line speed and 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 they want well it, it's not just that it's we want better passing we we, we want so aero's an issue and we also made the cars wider right <laughs> Um, we don't want passing to happen in the pits, mm-hmm. but that's a function of what you did. And, and, but it's also, it's the strategy we like, but it's the strategy that we like. Um, it's, you know, they, the fans will say, we'll bring back refueling cause there was great strategy with refueling, but that meant passing happened in the pits. I, you remember that, right? Um, I mean, let's just be honest what, and I'm, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it in my out loud voice. What the fans want to see... Spike strips. And not wet, <laughs> wet races either. What the fans want to see are drivers driving so close, so consistently, and wrecking occasionally. Mm-hmm. But everybody walks away. I mean, you hear that piece? Yeah. Everybody walks away. But they want to see the drivers driving close to each other. They don't care how fast it is. They don't care... Anything other than they get the sense the drivers are driving on the very edge. They want to see incredible passes on the track. What they need to, what fans need to remember is I can go back in my history book. I mm-hmm. have the book and tell you, you didn't have those great passes before. You had distances of almost a second and more than a second in finish times. People ran away with races all the way through the history of Formula One. But that's what people want. They want one incredible pass per race. They want a couple that happen in the mid-pack, one in the front, and whoever cares about what happens in the back of the race. They <laughs> want to see that kind of thing happen. They want the, the commentators to be able to talk about somebody's wheel-to-wheel action. Create the rules that give you cars that can get close to each other. Do that, and you'll change Formula One. Okay. Hashtag soapbox. <laughs> so finally, because we, we haven't been able to, to, well, we have. We've chosen not to bash McLaren Honda recently. <laughs> Soon to be McLaren Renault. I know. We'll see what happens. Zach Brown's been talking about the future. McLaren is super excited about and, of course, everybody's going, y- y- you did just see what happened in Mexico City, right? <laughs> y- y- you saw that. You, 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 you were at the race. You, you, you know that, right? It, it, boom, lot of smoke. few yeah. fires. Yeah. Um, what was it, Hartley's car that the Toro Rosso radioed to him? Pull over, park, and then exit the vehicle now. Well, well it was exit the vehicle by going you know going down the nose and jump off the car <laughs> is what it was because they didn't want him to get electrocuted by the car isn't that awesome yeah but there and there McLaren says that they are really excited about the Renault era what he has to say is almost everything that we have developed over the year in the factory corresponds to the car so we have a high strike rate of success Sometimes it can work in a factory and not on the car, but the chassis has been getting better and better and better. Our GPS says we are right near Red Bull, maybe a little better at some tracks and a little worse at other circuits. But they have won a couple of races, so we are cautiously optimistic for 2018. We almost have a few giggles getting ready for next year. We are excited. In sharp contrast, I read an article that Sebastian Vettel and Hamilton are giggling at McLaren's <laughs> optimism. <laughs> they say that they have stayed, particularly Fernando Alonso's optimism towards McLaren this year. They said in an interview that they have started every season with Fernando declaring how optimistic he is about this is the year. This is the year. Um, they didn't say it, but I kind of feel like it's listening to Cubs fans up until they won- finally won the World Series. Well, you know, I was thinking that possibly um, Ron Dennis keeps emailing Fernando Alonso with things to say. <laughs> also possible. 
Not, not that it's going to be uh, McLaren Honda that will beat Mercedes to the championship. Maybe now a McLaren Renault. Well, but Ron Dennis did say that McLaren would be the next world champion. Now, he did. Mercedes has still held on to it. So if Mercedes just holds on to it for long enough, McLaren will get there eventually. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it, it would be quite the sweetheart story to go from what? Eighth to first? Well, y- you kind of see that kind of stuff happen when you're swapping. I mean, when you roll the dice and take a risk. Yeah. So on that, I'll call it a show. <laughs> We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.